I'm Sienna. I'm the kid. I'm Sarah. I'm the mom. This is Queer Kids Straight Mom. Let's talk. Welcome back to Queer Kids Straight Mom. Today, we are talking about gay terminology. So kind of we'll go back in time a little bit to the history of phrases that have been used within the LGBTQ plus community, starting back when it really wasn't safe for people to know that you identified this way. And then up to today, where there are just things that people say that um, sometimes us straight people, especially us straight older people, have no idea what that means. So we're going to dive into some of those things today. I have a PSA before we begin. So this is privileged information. It is part of the secret gay code. I mean, a lot of this is common knowledge now, um, but I just I just got to say, like, use your discretion when you're using gay language, because first of all, like mom just mentioned, a lot of it is, you know, very closely tied to times when it literally wasn't safe to be gay. And also that it's just kind of annoying when straight people use gay people language. It just really rubs me the wrong way. Like, you're not gay. It feels like you're trying to pretend to be gay to be, like, hip or something and, like, stop. Why? And, I mean, there is some, you know, natural linguistic drift that I think we'll talk about in a little bit. But I have heard a lot of particularly straight girls just just decide that they're going to talk like gay men from the 80s. And it's just weird. So (laughs) don't do that. That seems fair. All right. Well, I'm going to start with a little bit of the research that I did because this I felt could be in my wheelhouse. And then I'm going to turn like common day language over to Sienna because that is not in my wheelhouse. I'm going to start out with a really great um, quote from this article I found at History Today. It has been argued that culture is created by the accumulation of communication pathways whether the highly localized codes and mannerisms that developed as a way of circumventing the political and social repression of sexuality in the 19th and early 20th centuries contain the seeds of today's LGBTQ plus culture is debatable, but it does leave us with a fascinating cultural miscellany of slang, dress codes, and even entire languages that were developed in order that members of the gay community could interact with one another safely. You know, today with the internet and social media, dating apps, all of those things, it's pretty easy for LGBTQ people to find circles that you can communicate within pretty openly. Um, But that wasn't the case, obviously, back in older times. So what I found of evidence of the most kind of sophisticated queer dialect that developed was Polari, which originated in 19th century music halls in London and became actually quite common in the theater districts in the 1930s. And it was a language that just had a lot of words and phrases that you kind of only knew if you were part of the queer community. And it was sort of a way that you could indicate to other people that you were part of that community, because obviously it could be pretty dangerous to let that information out to the wrong people. It's rarely used today, although apparently words such as camp, butch, and ogle came out of this dialect. 
So there are some pieces of it that still exist. And one thing I thought was interesting is it wasn't developed so much as a desire to create a subculture um, as it was just as a safe way to communicate. You know, it wasn't like this, oh, we have a secret language and we're trying to create a culture for ourselves. It was more just if I use these words and somebody understands what they mean, then then we kind of know that it's safe. So that was, I guess, the most organized. Any other interesting tidbits about Polari or... No, this is actually interesting. This I only came across when I was doing some random Googling last night. So um, didn't didn't come up with a whole lot. Here's my example for all of this code language. You know, the idea, at least apocryphally, with the Christian fish thing is this like you draw a line and then the other person draws a line and then it's like, oh, cool, you're a Christian you're safe. I think of it as a little bit like that, you know, you're you're signaling to people in a sort of subtle way. And that's that's what you get with a lot of a lot of these kind of code languages that have developed over the years. And I mean, I think sometimes people don't 100% grasp the fact that yeah, this was like a matter of safety like uh, up until very recently. It was like, you know, full on secret gay bars and subcultures upon subcultures concealing the real subculture. And if you didn't successfully conceal that, you know, you get arrested and thrown in jail and pelted with rotten fruit on stage and, in you know, in some cases, literally murdered. So, yeah, I think it's just very important to keep in mind where these things are coming from, that it's not just like some cute little, oh, I like to talk like I'm gay, that there's right. a real serious history behind these things. Yeah, definitely. It wasn't like a like we're trying to create some exclusive club. It was um and I didn't really we talked about this on our episode about TV shows, but I guess I knew it intellectually and you knew it much more viscerally, I guess, but um until we watched A League of Their Own, I don't think I really had a concept of even at that point, the 40s, that that was still such a dangerous thing. You know, and when they went to that secret club, right, they had to, wasn't it there like a friend it of was Dorothy Friends question? of Dorothy, yes. Yeah. I have thoughts on Friends of Dorothy, but yeah. Yeah. And I mean, not even just the 40s. I mean, think about um, the Stonewall Riots, which was a police raid on a gay bar in 1969. So, you know, 40 years after A League of Their Own was set. And that was you know, like literally kind of an inflection point in the gay rights movement. Quickly, just for um, some historical context for people that don't know as much about it. Stonewall, what was the justification for the police raid? Because it wasn't illegal at that point, correct? Being gay wasn't illegal. Mm -hmm. Was um, the, the cause for the raid? I believe it was because they thought that it was being operated by a gang or a mafia group or something like that. Okay. Did they really think that or was that like... Who can say? <laughs> Was that like law enforcement code? I mean, it. I, I think, and I like, I don't know this all, but like it may have been, I'm trying to remember stuff from a video about Stonewall that I watched like two years ago now. Obviously in the 60s, they were not literally busting down the door of every single slightly illicit enterprise operated by, you know, gangs and stuff. So I would imagine that there's a little bit of both there. Okay. That was a bit of an aside. I was just curious. Okay, well, that kind of moves us forward to another period of more modern time that a lot of 
language came out of, which was the drag and ballroom scenes of the 70s and 80s. And you were the one that actually explained to me that the ballroom scene was was really big. So quickly, do you know anything about how and why that came to be? Just very I actually have a quote about this that I happened to have for a project I was working on for school. Fun fact, guys, if you go to college, they'll let you do projects on arts and aging and gayness. So, you know, stay in school, kids. Is that what that was? <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. So this is from a, I believe, master's thesis from 2021. Themes ranged from gender to sexuality to race to 1980s social class. These themes elevated ball culture competition categories, helping younger ball culture participants understand their identities. As marginalized members of an already marginalized community, queer Black and Latinx drag queens created a world in which fashion, dance, and beauty offered a way to survive. Competing in and attending the balls allowed self-expression that became a political act of escapism. Okay, so were these beauty pageants or dance competitions or all of the above? Kind of a combination. You know, guys, the best explanation I have for you to, is to go watch the show Pose. It's really, really phenomenal in just every single way, like visually stunning and also just a really great piece of history. So yeah, that is a show that is set in kind of the late 1980s and focuses on the ball scene. And so what it is, is I suppose it would be similar then to if you're familiar with drag houses in like nowadays it's yes there's the competition element of it but the competitions are also between houses which sort of function as families and so you know in a lot of cases would live together providing a sort of substitute family again because we're in a time period where coming out as gay or trans was in a lot of ways like, you know, having to abandon your family or more appropriately, your family abandoning you, they were providing kind of a substitute family. So there, yeah, again, there was that performance aspect, but there was also a really important family aspect. So again, connecting it to modern day drag, if you hear a drag performer say, or, you know, in their intro, someone says, this is so-and-so from the legendary house of so-and-so, that's sort of where that came from. Okay. This drag and ballroom scene, like I said, had a lot of phrases. And I just learned in my research that the phrases throwing shade and spilling the tea actually came out of that scene. I'm pretty sure your brother or you, one of you, like within the last couple of years, told me that spill the tea was like, presented it to me as if like, you're old, so you don't know this. So I thought that was kind of funny that like it originated in my childhood. <laughs> Let me rephrase. You are old and not a Black or Latinx trans woman or gay man. So you don't know this. These things are true. So those have been adopted into every part of culture, not just the LGBTQ community, which is a whole interesting thread here because I also learned that a lot of those phrases were appropriated into the queer community from Southern Black culture, which you also knew a lot about when we talked about this. Yeah. I mean, there's, like I was just saying, ball culture really started out for Black and Latinx communities. And then that whole culture and drag culture in general also sort of got to an extent appropriated by um, white queer people. And that isn't to say that white people shouldn't do drag or that kind of thing. 
but it, it is important to sort of recognize that that's that's where it's coming from and that there certainly is a level of racism within the queer community that ball and drag sort of came about as the way of escaping like mm-hmm. was just talked about in that quote so there again was this sort of process of these phrases that originated within the black and latinx queer community then getting taken over by white queer people. And that is just in general a thing that I think even today you see a lot of white queer dialect looking very similar in some ways to um, African-American vernacular English, which is sort of the official academic term for Black dialect within the United States, which is problematic in the sense that cultural appropriation is problematic that you're just sort of taking over a thing with very little regard for where it comes from and very little regard for the community that it's coming from and just sort of being like, that's fun. I'm going to say that. Well, so moving forward to today, you know, teenagers already have their own language in a lot of ways. Your brother is constantly saying nobody says that anymore, although sometimes that's not true. He's just trying to make me feel bad. (laughs) But now that it's not illegal and, you know, hopefully depending on where you are, but hopefully not so scandalous to be LGBTQ plus, is there a feeling that if there is sort of a language that it is not so much a safety thing these days as an actual subculture thing? Or do you think there's enough acceptance that, you know, is there enough acceptance that you're not speaking in code so much to like make sure that you're talking to somebody safe? Is it more just, um, I guess I'm asking, has it shifted more to a, this is our language than this is our way of staying safe. I mean, like you said, I think it very much depends on where you are. I would say in the United States, for the most part, it probably is more of a, a cultural thing. Honestly, I'm not familiar enough with other places around the world to discuss to what extent kind of code languages are still used. But yeah, I would say in the United States, it's it's just it's really fun when you're like, oh, you guys. Friends of Dorothy was this whole thing and it came from Wizard of Oz because there's a line about how queer your friends are, Dorothy. You know, there's kind of a level of community pride there, I think, and just joy in rediscovering something from your community in the past. It just reminded me of that scene in Clueless when they're in the car and um, Cher is talking about how cute Christian is. And Dion's boyfriend was like trying to explain that Christian was gay and he kept like throwing out all of these things. And one of them was friends of Dorothy and Cher was just like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. And I mean, I think it's also important to recognize there's there's a subconscious element here too, right? Like there are things that aren't necessarily specifically queer dialect things that you just happen to be in certain circles on the internet and certain social circles. And so there are just things that people say and then they get magnified within those communities. And it just, you just happen to get certain patterns of speech. Like for instance, apparently I have a very Californian dialect. I am not from California. I have never lived in California, but according to the New York Times, I have a very, actually according to Zoe, Zoe is my friend from California. According to Zoe, I also have a very Californian dialect and she has specifically noticed that. So I don't know. Gay dialect is also just very Californian. That might make sense. So it's more friends pick up their way of talking from their other friends or their community or their online community or whatever that is. And because maybe queer people are more likely to be associating with each other, those patterns of speech develop not 
intentionally as much as just like, this is my peer group and this is how we talk. Yeah, I would certainly say that's probably a big part of it. So we had this conversation or decided to do this episode because somebody I know had heard the term gay panic and wanted to know what it meant. I guess the way that we have all seen it used is the gay panic defense, which is a terrible thing. Oh, Um, dude, I genuinely didn't even make that connection. So when I first, I think when I first was aware of it, it was Charlie's screen and Heartstopper. I saw Gay Panic and I was like, wait, what? What is that? Is it a band? (laughs) Because like I said, I'd only ever seen, like I knew, I knew he wasn't celebrating the Gay Panic defense on his phone. So unless it was like a cautionary (laughs) reminder, I don't know. I didn't know where to go with that. What I have since found out is that it is either like panic around someone of the same sex that you're attracted to or excitement about an interaction with someone of the same gender that causes panic. So Am I getting that right? I mean, I probably couldn't have put it into words, but like, yeah. I mean, this episode was kind of a mistake because I don't actually know any of this stuff. Well, I got that from Urban Dictionary. Tell me, like, are there any other things like that that you see used commonly in like your LGBTQ circles? So having been absolutely stumped on this question... I asked my girlfriend and then she texted her group chat because everyone she lives with is gay. And so what we what we have is slay, which I think might be another one of those ones that comes from uh, drag ball culture, all that good stuff. But I'm sorry, I do not say slay like ever. So (laughs) it's I think it's like it's kind of like nice, like it's like the gay version of you go, girl, which I have also heard I used. I guess I don't know if it was gay people or not. Might be one of those ones that has been adopted by teenagers in general. Maybe that's funny. I always think of it as like a 2000s straight white girl thing, but I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> like <laughs> what was the one that KJ said last night? Like was big in 2012 and then went away and it's big oh. again. Wait, what was that? <laughs> I don't remember. Maybe it'll come to us later. Anyway, what else was on the room? Anyway. Oh yes, gaslight girl boss gatekeep. Although I think the order I've heard it more in is girl boss gaslight gatekeep. Anyway, that that is I, I think that one's funny so girl boss is kind of like a when you're a strong independent woman but in a bad way that's funny because that one has been appropriated by a lot of middle-aged white women that say are involved with multi-level marketing companies no 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 i think this is i think you have the order wrong i think that this is a new thing that oh came it's making fun of us. them yes got it so gaslight girl boss gatekeep whatever I actually don't know how one would use that in normal conversation. I've always seen it as like a meme thing where it's like you take three different things. You know what? I don't know what this is saying. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, are they all three together? They're supposed to be together? They can be. Or you can just say girl boss. This is interesting. (laughs) (laughs) All I can think of is this meme from Magnus Archives. Where it takes these three different, like, weird, horrible creatures and then assigned them. So Helen, the distortion, who, like, has long, stabby fingers and operates a corridor, hell maze of doors, is girl boss. 
Um, no, she's Gaslight. Elias, the evil man who destroys the world, is girl boss. I don't remember who Gatekeep was. But anyway, <laughs> um, that's okay. all I can think of. So they're used together. There's probably a whole, like, language and memes, right? Oh, that, yeah, there absolutely is. Vox has an entire article called Gaslight Gatekeep Girl Boss Explained. Oh, well, I don't know if we have time to talk about it, but we could link to it on the website. Oh, it also says there's also one from Know Your Meme. Okay, just from my very brief looking at these headlines, it's apparently a um, parody of Live, Laugh, Love. Okay. I'm so it's making, it. it's like making fun of white toxic feminism, basically. And the things that they put on their walls in cursive. Uh huh. Okay. That's good um, to know. So there's there's that. Um, there's Yas. Oh, I saw that. That also comes from the the ball drag. Yeah, culture. I mean, to me, that one's just very similar to Slay. You're just being like, "Yes, you're so cool. Go, yeah." Um, I just saw one of the things that came up when I was like just looking. A lot of it was just terminology, which most I think most people already know, but that people use the word NB, E-N-B-Y, to refer to non-binary people. Is that something you've ever actually heard? Uh, it is. I actually have strong feelings about this. I do not ever want to be referred to as NB. To be clear, I don't mean, mind being referred to as NB, the letters. NB is just way too cutesy for me. That doesn't mean other people can't use that to refer to themselves, but I don't like it personally. But yes, I have heard that. Got it too cute i will not use that in reference i don't like it's like i don't it makes me sound like someone's cute little pet like why oh it does sound like a little stuffed animal like a furby or something yeah that's not at all you (laughs) exactly so anyway moving on moving on Um, we also have u-haul which I can see from the perplexed look on your face you are not familiar with. This one I actually am familiar with. It's it's like U-Haul lesbian because there's a, a stereotype that's sort of become a joke that like lesbians start dating and then move in with, with each other within like a week. And so it's called U-Hauling where you just move all your stuff uh, because, because then there's also the stereotype about butch lesbians like being, you know, tough and muscly and moving mm. their own stuff. So, you know, they get a U-Haul instead of hiring moving i I guess i guess is the logic (laughs) there (laughs) because they've got their subaru that probably has a tow hitch on it i don't know right of course of course (laughs) um that's new to me um this is a family-friendly podcast so we're not going to talk about that one and i have nowhere to start with the last two i have no idea what either of the last two are incidentally they're both from the same person are you going to tell us what they are Oh, yes, they're snatched and wig. Okay. <laughs> if it's family friendly, somebody please tell us in the comments. <laughs> if it's not, maybe like DM us instead. <laughs> I feel like those could go either way. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't know how educational this has actually been, but <laughs> I've learned a couple of things. It sounds like you've learned a couple of things. <laughs> That's good. 
obviously we are open to being taught more things. So let us know. Please. I don't like I I learn the gay vocabulary and the hip youth vocabulary like two years after it was actually relevant. <laughs> like I exist in a perpetual state of two years behind everyone else. So you might be just fine us. because like they'll go out of like people won't say them anymore. And then they'll come back two years later and that'll be like you'll just hit that sweet spot. <laughs> you just learned about it and it's like come around again for everybody else. <laughs> Could work out just fine. Was it late? I think it was late. Was it late? The one that was like big in 2012 and then wasn't and now is again. Which I'm like, dude, how do you even know this? Because he was what, like seven in 2012? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> how does he know what was big in 2012? I don't know what was big in 2012. Wait, mustaches. Were mustaches big in 2012? I Maybe. feel like I was in like fifth grade when everyone Every- was obsessed with mustaches. Could be. Everybody thought the world was going to end. There was that. Everyone was like, we might as well grow a mustache. <laughs> Maybe we can like see how people are feeling about the, the state of the world by whether there are mustaches or not. <laughs> hmm. We're going <laughs> off on all sorts of tangents today. Now, before we move on to wrap up this episode, we have a quick PSA. You may or may not be familiar. It's been making national headlines. Representative Zoe Zephyr, who actually came on this podcast several episodes ago, has basically been not allowed to talk by House Republicans. Again, we're going to talk about this probably in a future episode, and you can Google it to see all of the nasty details. But she said something about a bill that is going to prevent trans kids from receiving gender affirming health care that Republicans apparently found incredibly offensive. And so they are now not allowing her to talk, which is fundamentally antithetical to the democratic process. We just wanted to bring some attention and awareness to that and also let you know some things that you can do to support Representative Zephyr. So if you would like to send her a message of support, you can email her at Zoe, that's Z-O-O-E-Y dot Zephyr, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, both Zs are capitalized, at L-E-G-M-T dot gov. And you can, if in particular, if you are in a district with a Republican representative, which I don't know how many of our listeners are, but you know, if that happens to be you, you can contact your legislator, leg.mt.gov. That'll have contact information for all of the legislators in the state. The Montana Freedom Caucus, which is a group of Republicans um, in the Montana legislature who are in particular some of the ones who are calling for Representative Zephyr to be censured and also released just an awful kind of call for censure that in addition to other things, uh, misgendered representatives effort, which is just a crappy thing to do. Um, so the caucus is led by Senator Teresa Manzella, and the vice chairman is Representative Jerry Schillinger. Again, you can look up their contact information on that uh, Montana legislature website, which we will also be sharing. But yeah, in particular, those or any of the other members of that caucus, you can contact in a respectful manner. And then also because 
the reason that Representative Zephyr has been silenced is because of her efforts to protect her community and stop some of this incredibly harmful legislation attacking, in particular, transgender children. You can contact Governor Greg Gianforte to tell him to veto some of these bills that have made it through the legislature. In particular, one example of that is HB 361, which, according to the Ford Montana newsletter, would make schools unable to discipline a student for misgendering or deadnaming another student. That is not only massive state overreach, but also just really crappy. So you can contact Greg Gianforte by calling the number 406 444 3111, or by filling out a form that we will also be linking to, because one of the best ways that you can support Representative Zephyr is by supporting the work that she is doing to support her community and the entire community of Montana. So that is our PSA. It's a mess out here. Well, our next episode, um, we're still working out some of the details on, so stay tuned and we will post about that sometime in the next couple of weeks and let you know what's coming up next. In the meantime, if you have some terms to add to our list, let us know and take care and we will catch you next time. All right. If you would like to hear more from us, follow us on Instagram at queerkid.straightmom, Facebook at queerkid.straightmom, Twitter at queerkidstraightmom, that's straight, that's spelled str 8 And if you would like to support us so that we can keep bringing you content like this, consider donating to us on Patreon at QueerKid, Straight Mom. And if you are enjoying our podcast, please rate, review, and follow us on your preferred podcasting platform.